0: Drinking bros, put down the water. And grab a fucking drink. drink, drink, drink. Sounds oh. empty in here. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. Does it? Does it sound empty? I feel a little pressure right now. Yeah, it's just me. Why? I don't. You shouldn't feel any pressure. Look, J- Jimmy John's. Jared is is not next to you. He's not sweating on you. He's got no <laughs> sandwiches dripping on your legs, ruining your <laughs> jeans. There's no there's no France press, uh, uh, dabbling all over your 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 shirt. He's not dabbing it on your shirts. <laughs> I should say, yeah. Uh, Matt Matt Best isn't there to judge you. No, he's still not he's here. Not, he's not like a stern father figure. So you, <laughs> can, you can say what you want and be who you want tonight. Uh, welcome to Drinking Bros, ladies Love and gentlemen. Drinking Bros. Tonight it is just me and Rocco. We've got a we've got a sweet one on one sesh. Yeah. Uh, Jared is uh, having a baby. Um, he's got a daughter on the way, so he's he's. Uh, He's at the hospital doing important stuff. Yep. Congratulations um, Mr. Mr. Matt Best is, is a world traveler. He's, uh, he's got a lot, of, a lot of shit going on. He's doing some stuff with Black Rifle, Rifle Coffee. In Range which 15. Which happens to be one of our, our sponsors yep. on and off. Yeah, all night. And uh, tonight, as always, you know, you know who it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We've talked about this before, but we're going to talk about it again because it's just that fucking awesome. It's Carnivore Club. It's pretty goddamn simple. Oh, yeah. You pull out your wallet, you give them some money, they send you a box of incredible meat to you every single month. Rocco, you you got some a oh, couple yeah. days ago. Oh, yeah. how, how was it? Dude,
1: it's amazing. I, it, honestly, I eat the box in one day. I, and I can't help it because I open it, I start getting like, you know, the the salami and then I start eating the next meat, the next meat and it's just I finish a box in a day every fucking time.
0: Yeah, you're like, you're like a 10th a grader in high school. You eat the box in one sitting. Yeah, I think, they, I like I think it.
1: they need a lumberjack box, like twice the size for twice the man,
0: you know? Oh, I like that a lot. If, if that goes on sale, you you better be getting 10%. Speaking of 10%, you can get 10% off your box on carnivoreclub.co by by typing in the promo code Bros. You get 10% off your first order. You just have to pull out your credit card, type in carnivoreclub.co into your computer and join the Carnivore Club for the best meat you've ever tasted in your entire life. That's carnivoreclub.co with the promo code Bros to get 10% off. Uh, our next sponsor is uh, it, it's a, little, a little premium ammunition. It's proudly made and manufactured in Texas. It's called Tartarus Ordnance. Uh, if that's a mouthful, it is. But it's also, it's also named after Greek mythology about people who kill other people. Uh, it's about <laughs> hell. It's Tartarus Ordnance. Uh, when you need home defense ammunition, you go there. And, and as I like to say, uh, they should call it, if if I wish a m- motherfucker would, <laughs> I wish a motherfucker would step into my house so I could use it and blow somebody away. They need that for their they marketing. <laughs> yeah, they really do. They really, and they need a Samuel Jackson face on it, or uh, you know, somebody dangerous, like like a yeah, like a Rick Ross. Or, oh, uh,
1: fuck, that'd be great.
0: Like a Rick Ross on your shirt, and then it says Tartarus Ordnance underneath. Uh, they're a proud supporter of the Semper Five Fund, so every purchase they give ten percent to the Semper Five Funds. You can also use the the promo code Drinkin' Bros on their site as well, and you get ten percent off. All of their shit, all of their ammunition, you get ten percent off of it. Awesome, man. Um, and you, you know what the next one is, Roc- oh, Rocco? It's a whiskey, of course. You happen to be an owner of it. You oh, make yeah. it, you drink it, you love it. You pour it all over your wife when you when things get weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna be embarrassed about that. It's funny though.
0: It's called, <laughs> you know, it's called Lead Slingers. It, it's it's a gift from the gods. Oh uh, yeah. It's 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 if Vietnam vets. Cut open their veins and pour it into a bottle. It's it's that American. It's so fucking manly. It's that fucking American. Oh, yeah.
1: It's spread throughout Texas right now too. It's all over fucking Texas. It's amazing.
0: God, we love we love lead slingers on the show. It, it's very rare when your best friends own uh, a great whiskey company that you're like, oh shit, I'd like to have I'd like to have some of your best whiskey, sir. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, great. I own that company. <laughs> How many would you like?
1: Oh, we're proud of it, man. We're definitely are proud of it. It's great.
0: I love it. I love it. And uh, last but not least. You, you, you know this book. Oh, it's a book. Uh, oh, boy. It, it's it, it's almost as if a man with four arms wrote it. Yes. It's, th- it's that talented. <laughs> you can fuck to it. You can fuck to it. You can make love to it. You can finger to it. Uh, it's called At Night She Cries. While He Rides His Steed, the first ever romance novel for dudes, written by the great, the brilliant, the impeccable, <laughs> the unpenetrable Ross Patterson. Uh, one of the most gifted storytellers of our generation. I'm not saying this, but but people around the world are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie, Ross. Like the
1: book is good. The book is fucking funny, man. And that's that's just an honest, just an honest freaking compliment. Like it's really a good book. It's funny as fuck, dude. I I bought I pr- it. I read I appreciate it, it. it. And then I also audiobooked it just for just so I can hear it again. And, dude, hearing it is fucking awesome. And who is it? That's that's the voice on the audiobook.
0: Oh man, it's it's a, it's a, it's another young man by the name of Ross Patterson. <laughs> another talented actor, comedian. Oh, God, I love, it. Uh, I love it. Yeah, and then uh, no, but on the audiobook which is on audible.com, uh, it's uh, there's a bunch of actors who do it, so you're not listening to a boring audiobook. You're listening to it from Saint James Street James himself and uh, a team of fine actors and it's uh, the, the book's available on Amazon. And everywhere, other bookstore except for Walmart, it was banned in Walmart um, because of the nudity in it. Uh, shit gets wild in it. But, uh, yeah, you can buy Night She Cries While He Rides His Steed on Amazon now or Audible. However you you, you prefer to, to ingest it, it is there for you. Um, tonight is one of my favorite nights, Rocco. I'm glad it's the two of us tonight. <laughs> wow. I am. I, I'll tell you why. I got to see you speak uh, at Raider Project a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are one of the best public speakers I, I I've heard in a while. Wow! And uh, your the the way you interact with people, the, the way you touch people, um, when, when you speak to them, um, it, it's pretty fucking phenomenal. And uh, I, I I'd kind of like to just take tonight to touch on your life story.
1: Ooh, awesome, man! Crazy.
0: <laughs> so where? Where did yeah? What, like you know, I, obviously your name is Vincent Vargas. You got the name, the lovingly, the loving name Rocco yep. through uh, Jared and them. Um, but but where you tell the audience where you're from because you have a you have a crazy life story.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I grew up in San Fernando Valley. I was born in Northridge actually, but grew up in San Fernando Valley. That's California, That's Southern California, um, and uh, pretty much all around Sepulveda Boulevard is really where my stomping grounds would be. I grew up in a uh, Nice little suburb uh town uh and uh I don't know, you're like a
0: Tom Petty song, <laughs> yeah, it's actually receda Boulevard's pretty close to
1: us, so that's <laughs> so funny, yeah, no, my father he's originally from New York, he's a puerto Rican man uh from New York, and then he moved to l a around thirteen he grew up in the around east l a area, got involved in gangs at a young age, um really what what gang uh echo Park was his was his little gang, man. No shit. Yeah. Echo
0: Park is like gentrified now. It's white. Yeah,
1: well it's 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 one of the older it's very ones. Very white, man.
0: very hipstery now.
1: Is it? Is Echo Park itself, yeah. right? Not the gang. Not the gang. The gang is still gangster as hell, but the the town you're saying.
0: The yeah, city, the but it's area. uh the town of Echo Park, like the houses are going for, you know. 700,000 there wow, so it's, wow. it's it's hard to be a gangster in echo park these days
1: <laughs> yeah I De- guess i'm so. dead serious i guess so dead that's serious funny.
0: there was a liquor store. one of my best friends lived in echo park and uh he said he just bought a house there and i was i, I was the same thing as you i was like oh shit there's a lot of gangs there he's like oh no no, no. it's it's totally changed now that's good um so the, the only time i saw gang ish type members was outside the liquor store the rest of it was total hipster Starbucks, uh, there's amazing restaurants and bars there now. Like you would, you would not recognize Echo Park. Wow.
1: That's cool. I haven't been, I haven't been back there in so long, actually. The only time I've ever driven through Echo Park in like recent years was just going to a Dodger game. And that's like, you know, I really don't get to see it. You just kind of just drive on by. So that's Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. You drive, you drive down Sunset and see it and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And, uh, so, so, so you grew up there and how long were you there for? Uh, How how
1: long were you? I was, I, I think I left there around 19 years old. Like I played Uh, Probably around 20, actually, is when I actually took off. Uh, I played some junior college baseball down there, Valley Valley College one season, and then I went to uh, Glendale Community College. I got in a little bit of trouble, um, and so I went up north and played for a summer for the Chico Sticks, which is in Chico, California. Uh, Yeah! Had a blast there. It was fun, man. Just hanging out with a bunch of buddies. There's five of us living in a house off 6th and Oak next to the zoo. If anyone's local, they'll know exactly where that's at. And uh, my buddies played for Chico State, and I was trying to get onto the team there, but uh, just by coincidence of a summer summer league just doing really well, I got picked up for a team in Kentucky. So I went to Brushy University in Kentucky. Um, became academically ineligible eventually, and uh, that's what started my uh, my path towards uh, the military. I tried out for a couple independent pro teams like the Evansville Otters and the Richmond Roosters and the – what else? The – was it the – several other little ones, but uh, – just kept getting cut and so uh that's when I decided to go full-on military and
0: full-on military so, so let me ask you this coming from all the way from California to Kentucky w- was it a big culture shock did you like it down there
1: yeah dude I, I loved it I I mean I grew up you know the, you know that it is out there Ross where if you grew up in LA most people don't ever want to leave LA they kind of they kind of feel like LA is a focal point of the world and and so I, I too was Absolutely. I too was like that. You know, I thought like there's nothing better than L.A. L.A. for life, all that stuff. But when I went to Kentucky, it was actually actually Chico was the first place to kind of open my eyes to, man, the whole world out there. Um, and then when I got to Kentucky, it was beautiful, man. Just green, uh, just just the greenery alone, the trees and the grass everywhere was was awesome to see. But but the people, real nice. The culture out there was so different. You know, seeing a Hispanic man, uh, speak perfect English, almost like a, you know. Like a California dude uh, threw them off, man. They're, most of the most of the Mexicans they have seen out there are actually Mexican nationals, and they were kind of migrant workers. And so it, it was, a, I was a, I was like a fish out of water there, man. They they kind of identified me right away. It was like, who is this dude? And plus, I had the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> plus the tattoos. It was kind of a man. Yeah. So
0: you did. You had all those tattoos back then. Not all of them. I had. I
1: just started my sleeves. Actually, I started one, uh, the flame, the outline of the flame, and then I got another one, the other the other arm, which was supposed to be again. Uh, water and it looks more like seaweed or some shit but (laughs) but uh, yeah so I had those done uh, and then I kind of just kept going slowly with that so I kind of stood out in the crowd in uh, my group of friends and I was always just known as just the kind of the I stood out man I was always just kind of a little bit different than everybody
0: that's cool so 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 you're 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 how old when you joined the military
1: it's 23 years old um 23 yeah I had my daughter and she was uh you know I, I was going back and forth to LA to see her and me and her mother wasn't together at the time so it was just kind of doing my best to be a dad but once I decided to join the military it was really for her to try to uh, i had to su- you know support her and have money and hopefully you know insurance i just kind of really did it for her I, did, I had nothing else going on for myself and playing baseball my whole life from 4 to fucking 23 it's really the only thing i thought i was good at so uh, after after that kind of ends you kind of kind of lost and you really sit there thinking like wow this war is going on let's do it and you know and i told the guys at that, that seminar was uh I didn't want to, you know, my dad was military. I wanted to make him proud. Uh, and so I, I joined on that account. Uh, I joined also so I can support my daughter. And also, you know, you see the war on TV. I didn't want to be a guy 40 years from now. And uh, that's I, I didn't have the same stories as these other dudes. You know, I wanted to have these war stories. I kind of wanted to see it face-to-face and close-up, you know. So, so I decided to go for it, man.
0: Sure. And, and how, how was your experience there? Like, uh, did you love it? Uh, was it one of the best times of your life? Do you miss it?
1: Yeah, man, I think I think everyone kinda sees it very similar. Um, it was the most exciting time of my life. Uh some of the scariest moments of my life, some of the most you know, exciting, like I said, uh some of the best friends I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I was happy to walk away from it. Um, I also miss it every fucking day. Like it'd be cool to go back and, and you know, kick indoors and do the missions and, 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 you know, training just fun alone. But at the same time, um I was happy I got away from it when I did. Um still healthy enough to continue on with life and, and, and achieve you know, future goals and missions, man. But at the time, I didn't want to walk away, man. I was ready to ready to enlist for another four years and try and go, hopefully, you know, other routes, you know, whether it was going t- towards Delta. I wanted to try out, for, I wanted to do the best ranger competition. Like, all these things I had dreams of doing. But, you know, by that point, I already had three kids, and I was gone so much of their lives. Um, my, my ex-wife at the time was said, you know, um, she's going to, you know, she was ready to walk away from the marriage just because I was gone so much if I stayed in. So I decided to walk away and just try other things. So eventually she left me anyways.
0: <laughs> That's always how it works. I've
1: talked to so many dudes and it's like, yeah, my wife said she was going to leave and I got out. Then she fucking left me anyways. I'm like, yeah, dude, everyone has that story, it seems like.
0: And you're like, fuck, I could have stayed, <laughs> yeah. god damn it.
1: No, but it's for the best for the kids, man. It was, it was the best decision I made was to get out. And, but don't get me wrong, the transition was fucking difficult. Every day I was, you know, for, for months and months, and still years. And there's sometimes, even today, I think like, man, it'd be great to go back active and just
0: fucking live that life. Yeah, and, and that's, I, I'd, I'd love to hear about that, about your transition of, of coming back, how old you were, the difficulties you, you faced doing it, and, uh, and then, you know, kind of touch on how you got involved with, with Article 15. So how, how old were you when you left?
1: So you got in 23? I think I got out around 27, 28. Um, dude, and I think everyone around 27, 28 kind of sits there and looks at their life and is like, kind of identifies, like, man, this is not where I expected I was going to be. At, you know,
0: it, when I thought I was going to be at 28, but uh, yeah, 20 28 is one of those weird ages where you know, as a kid in high school, because that, that you're coming up on your 10 year reunion at that right, point,
1: right? And you're coming up on and 30, you, man. You know,
0: yeah, and you, and you start to think to yourself because you look around and you you know, friends may have better cars, better jobs, better lives, and you know, if you're still trying to figure it out at that age and don't know what you want or what you want to do, um, and especially for you, transitioning out of the army into you probably don't know what your next job is going to be yeah, at dude. that point, like, correct? Yeah,
1: that, like I already applied for I had a job lined up. It was a corrections officer. I started off selling medical supplies uh, with Synthos and just driving around to fucking buildings and buildings and filling up their medical fucking kits, which is a miserable job. But, you know, it did pay the bills at the time. But uh, I got in with uh, the corrections, the private, private uh, corrections with a company called CCA. And which they paid well, man. They paid like twenty one dollars at the time, which is fucking huge compared to any other job that I had lined up. Yeah, and so that w- hey,
0: look, it's it's still it's still a lot to this day. $21 yeah, it's actually right. yeah. That's what I'm saying.
1: I, I, trust me, that, that job saved my ass, man, because I did that and, and it was good because I stayed busy and stayed active. But uh, I was still going through a lot of transitional stuff, where dealing with uh, things that you know, whether sleep issues and drinking issues and and uh, fuck, you know that that fear of missing out, you know that FOMO they call it, or whatever it is, man. Yeah. I get calls from the guys that come back from deployments and, and things I missed, and it just fucking drove me nuts, man. And, and every day I thought about going back active and, and calling the recruiter, and you just miss it, man. It's a, it's this weird deal where, y- you know, you get out and you're just never sure if you're going to be able to be successful and just realizing how easy the lifestyle is of the military where, Dude, you're getting paid so much, you know, and not so much, but I'm saying you're getting paid, BAH, BES, you know, separation pay, you're getting medical insurance, you're getting all these amenities that you don't get when you get out, and uh, then you start to realize, like, fuck, man, I'm broke as fuck, I got three kids, and, you know, uh, she, my wife has to stay home, you know, my ex-wife had to stay home to watch the kids, because they were so small, it didn't make, it didn't make sense getting a, a babysitter, because you're, you're just paying the same amount as what she would make if she was working a part-time, full-time job but anyways, so, sure. so you just feel so fucking backed in a corner, man, like... You wasted four four years. You got out, and you're in the same position you were when you were fucking you know, when you got in, because I was an infantry dude, man, and I got out and thinking an Army Ranger would be well respected in the civilian world. Like no one really gave a shit, dude. Like no one really does give a shit. It's like cool, you're an Army Ranger. Uh, you're still in the same position you were four years ago with no real skill to the fucking civilian world. So what are you gonna do now? You know. And so corrections was cool, but fuck, what an empty feeling of like wow, I wasted four years fighting for this country, thinking. I was going to get out and people were going to give me fucking high fives and hugs and fucking throw me into the corporate world and make a shit ton of money because they respected me. But that's not what happens. And it's, and I was stupid to even think that was what happened. Right. You get out with this ego thinking fucking people are going to respect me. Uh, but most of the time people just thought I was a fucking park ranger. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't fucking know. Right. They don't get it. And, and it's, and it's not for them to get,
0: you know, I can't. No. And, you know. and I imagine there's, there's probably a stereotype that comes with it where you think one thing going into a job interview, like, oh, man, I, dude, I just did the most impossible job in the world, and everybody's going to thank me for it, uh, whereas, you know, they look at that on a resume, and they were like, they don't understand what the initials and the period stand for. Right, man. Oh, you were a SGT of the PT of, oh, that's great. What will you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, cool, you shaved and you wore a tie? All right, that's that's good enough. You're, you're like every other dude that shows up here because no one gives a fuck about your goddamn resume, man. Dude, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's it's a heartbreaking thing, man. It has to be, right? Yeah, like, That's got to
0: be one of the worst feelings in the world. Dude,
1: Cause like just doing what I did, for me, it was one of the biggest challenges of my life, man. Just getting through RIP, getting through Ranger School, getting through deployments, uh, trying to be successful in a field where, where it's a challenge, man. And getting out and, and just kind of knowing, wow, no one really gave a fuck. Whoa. Like, that's the hardest thing to hit, man. And then putting you in the same category as everyone else that served, which... At that time, it was hard for me to understand because I, I had the infantry pride as like an infantry man, an infantry man, you know, and everyone else is fucking support. Now, so much I'm growing up and and I don't have that ego and I understand exactly like you know everything's a necessity. All the all the jobs are a necessity in the military, but at that time, it's like, oh, you can't compare me to a tanker. You can't compare me to a petroleum specialist. You can't like fuck you, man. I'm a goddamn army ranger, right? And so, yeah, man, I it, it I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to be a civilian yet. I wasn't I wasn't transitioned yet. I was still filled with piss and vinegar and and i hated everybody that didn't understand where i came from
0: it was tough and how how did you cope with that uh like going forward and not only that but how how did workers treat you once you did get jobs like how how did your coworkers treat you
1: you know initially a lot of people it's respected man i mean i went there i always had my shirt ironed my pants you know my boots shine so you always i always presented myself in this professional manner some might, not, some might think I was a kiss-ass or whatnot, but, you know, I always did my job as best I could, and I've always gotten been able to get along with everyone, you know what I mean? So it was pretty easy on that, but I had problems getting into the Border Patrol, you know? I had guys that, would, that was like, well, today, like my field training officer, you know, when I first got there, the guy was giving me shit because he heard about my military background, which I don't know why anyone felt the need to tell him this shit, and, and so I showed up there already with this fucking stigma that I'm a know-it-all. I was like, dude, I've never done that for anyone. I've never been this fucking know-it-all, but this guy felt that I was going to do it, so I, maybe his insecurities, you know, fucking took that, but he took, the first yeah. the first day he saw me, he goes, good morning, Mr. Vargas, I hear that you were in the military. Well, today, I am your NCO, and I was like, what the fuck does that even mean, dude? Like, uh, yeah. You've
0: got to be kidding me. Yeah, so so
1: I think he had a lot of insecurity about me, and, and he was giving me shit the whole time, and. It was fucking, it was hell, man. Like, it was It was hell at first because I felt like he, he just took me the wrong way thinking that I was going to be a very egotistical fucking asshole, and, and it was the other way around. Like, I, I don't know the job of border Radio, man. I'm there to learn, dude. And so that made me really, really uncomfortable with like, Fuck, man. That, they, it kind of stirred the pot again where it's like, man, like, these guys don't get it. Like, I, I'm willing to learn. I'm here to fucking, you know, I don't care what my past is anymore. I really just want to be good now. And this guy made it hard. Sure. He made it difficult, man. And, and eventually I got through all that. And, and, and you know, I didn't let my anger get the best of me. And I kept my mouth shut when he said comments. And, and eventually I was able to prove myself where he respected me, man. And so it just came with I just had to keep my mouth shut and do my job.
0: And, and in the Border Patrol, let me ask you this. Like, did you feel the same closeness you had with your unit when you were overseas? What was the bond like in the border patrol? Because I heard, I heard it's pretty close. It's a it's a pretty close knit group as well. Yeah, it's very
1: similar, man. Like I'm not gonna lie to you. I have some some of my good friends now. I mean, we we've had some cool little um, things go down in the border patrol, whether we're jumping dope or jumping groups. And when I got to the special operations side of things, it was very similar, man. The characteristics, you know, of a special operations unit seemed to be very similar. Where the cohesiveness is a lot closer. You got a little bit more, um, I guess, dangerous missions. Nothing in comparison to what we did in Ranger Battalion, you know what I mean? Nothing with, with the threat levels of what you did in the military. But there's still high threat situations, you know? And and so you do end up being real close with some of these guys. And, uh, you know, and I'm not going to lie to you, dude. Like, as close as I was with some of these guys in the Border Patrol and some of these teams and still am, I think uh, in comparison, I think maybe just because the threat level was that much higher and, and wars a little bit different, uh, I'm closer, still closer, and I, I guess I kind of relate a little bit more with my military buddies that I've – you know, what I mean, you know, we've kicked in doors and seen dudes be blown up, what, whatnot. But man, I do have really good friends from the Border Patrol that we've had some cool missions, and 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 I still, they'll be lifelong friends, man. But there's a lot of similarities there, man. There's a lot of similarities.
0: And and, and were you sad leaving the Border Patrol?
1: Yeah, but I was ready, man. Like like people that don't know, man, I was actually on the team uh, that that shot Mats, the two the two escaped convicts in New York. That was actually the mission that my team was on. And again, let me if I go back if no one knows that I was on a Borstar team. I was a medic attached to Bortac. I was not Bortac, but I was attached to the Bortac team. They treated me like one of the boys. I would kick in the doors just with, with any of them. I was on the missions just like if I was a shooter, but I'm their medic. And uh, so that being said, uh, we get activated to go chase down these dudes. Uh, we get activated, I think, four days late. So by the time we get there, and, and something that's specialty the border patrol, we do, we do good at tracking dudes, and tracking people. That we got there, and, and the whole place was just stomped on, man. So it was hard to really track anyone. Oh, wow. Yeah, we couldn't use our dogs, we couldn't use uh, track sign. We we it was difficult. So then we had to rely on uh, intel. And so every little call we had, we we're we were, we we're ramping up and we we're going, man, we're fast roping into schools, we're fast roping into freaking, like like fucking little lo- islands. We're, we're doing all kinds of water ops, everything just to try and track these dudes down. And uh, the day before. Uh, they actually captured him uh, or shot him. Um, it was when my daughter's birthday was coming up and I asked my supervisor and I was like, you know, man, my family's been becoming more and more important to me nowadays, you know, after a lot of things that's happened. And so I told him, say, hey, let me fly home for my daughter's birthday, man. I don't want to miss this one. I missed my son's birthday just recently because I was doing another mission. Um, and then as soon as it's done, I'll fly right back. He's like, all right, dude, let's do it. And that's the cool thing about the Border Patrol. They really understood, or at least this team, this supervisor really understood what it was like, you know, that I was trying to be, you know, there for my family as much as possible. And we were already going on nine days with nothing. So I flew back and got to really enjoy my daughter's birthday. We had a luau, and it was a great time. And then, boom, I get the call. that my boy took the shot, you know what I mean? And he actually took out mats. And, man. Wow, man, no kidding. Yeah, dude. And, and so it was heartbreaking as hell, for one, as a medic, to not be there for your guys when, when a situation like that goes down. It really ate me up. But at the same time, man, I knew that my heart wasn't in it anymore, man. And, and the worst thing is to have a medic that's kind of half-assed on the job, what a scary thing that would be. And so that's when I decided to resign, man. I just – my heart was more focused towards uh, Article 15 and, and the family, and uh, I didn't want to give my guys a, a half-ass medic, man. So I, I resigned the next week.
0: Holy shit. That's crazy. What? what, what would you say that's your craziest story out of, out of working in the Border Patrol? No, man,
1: we've had some cool ones, dude. I mean, we I don't know. There's really nothing classified, but, I mean – We've I've done an op when I was a regular agent. Me and my buddy were laid up, and uh, there was a truck that went loaded up. Uh, I called it out on the radio, and it's a well-known load-up site, so that's kind of why I laid up in the area. And laid up means yeah, I'm just pretty much in a hide. Sure. And so I had good visuals on the location where they pick up. Uh, my binos with me, and I was able to identify the vehicle. I was able to identify the road that they were driving down. And I was able to just, uh, I guess, dismount my location and run towards the vehicle so I can hopefully block it if it turned around. Uh, in this case, it actually did. And when he did that, he hit the border patrol agent chasing him head-on, reversed it, hit him again, and then started going f- fucking 50 to 100 miles d- directly straight at me, which is about he was probably about 100 meters away as he's fucking um, stepping on the accelerator. And so I'm you're kidding? Nah, I me. swear to you. So I'm in the middle of the road, and I'm starting to kind of pie off my position off the road slightly, but I knew I was going to take the shot if he kept coming towards me. Uh, I think as he identified that I was in the middle of the road, and I had you know my my. My AR pointed directly at him, and I mean I had my whole rig, so I was ready to go to town. And there was a ditch, so I was thinking, "All right, man, I'm gonna fire off some rounds, hit the driver, hit the passenger, and then I'm gonna go ahead and duck and hopefully fall into the ditch and not get hit by this fucking car." Right as I was ready to freaking shoot this dude, uh, they dump out of the car, rolling, fucking tumbling and shit. The car fucking goes into the ditch. Uh, one of them's a female. She starts running. My buddy tackles him, the guy in the car. He st- slams on the brakes. He gets her. He tackles her. I tackle the dude. Uh, it ends up being about 800 pounds of dope. Uh, and the female at the time was actually one of the best, like, the biggest freaking smuggling females. And, and was turns out that she was, dude, 17 years old. and Shut yeah, the fuck and up. And running dope up and down this fucking border like crazy. But in the end, we caught we caught her finally. And, dude, cool story is about two months before, we chased this girl down. She dumps her vehicle into the fucking Rio Grande River, breaks her fucking arm, and fucking swims one arm across the fucking street, across the fucking way to Mexico and gets away. So we are like, "Dude, who is this fucking girl?" Come to find out, some seventeen-year-old <laughs> fucking girl, dude. She fucking dumps out of her ride like a fucking G, dude. Crazy.
0: No way. Yeah. There's a- uh, and so, so like, to, to a normal person who's never, you know, I, I don't know anything about border patrol except for what you see on TV. Do they give you guys bonuses for, for like huge busts like that, no, or no, man? The, like the more the more danger you're in. No, I mean, there's there's
1: there's you know, they identify some good missions, you know, good things that happen here and there sometimes, but not necessarily. Like if you see something at a checkpoint that they catch all like 50,000 pounds of fucking dope. Yeah. You're going to see it on the, you know, the interwebs when it comes to the border patrol freaking, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. but but nothing really significant and, and no one really gets, you know, mentions for, for any kind of awards for that kind of crap unless and you don't get
0: bonuses or anything. No, like that, no, like it's, that? Not, Financial? it's
1: not made. There's no bonus like that. At the end of the year, you might get a bonus for, for just being good at your job, but uh, there's, there's nothing really significance. Um, I'd say more Is, if, like, on the rescue units or Bortack or Borstar, if they do a significant mission and potentially save guys or something that's, uh, I guess, huge, you might see a, 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 someone receive an award for something like
0: that. Holy shit. So, so I, the, the money would have to be sick in order for one to do that job because it sounds just as dangerous as being in the military is the is the is the money good
1: the money's good man and again i would never say it's as dangerous as being in the military i think in the military you you have there's IDs, man there's there's people getting shot There's shooting at there's very few uh altercations on the border where where there are causes for engagement uh i'm not saying it's not going to happen i'm not saying it doesn't happen i'm just saying uh it's not as prevalent as would be in the in the in the Overseas The reality reality behind it is You know We're doing the best we can On the border It's a fucking cat and mouse game It's a a human Playing fucking brain games With another human They're trying to get dope across We're trying to stop the dope They get enough across That they're happy We catch enough That we're happy Kind of both sides are happy Which is how fucked up it sounds It's the reality of it man We're trying to catch Everything we can But we're not catching Everything we can uh, you know and and at the same time, if they start fucking shooting at us well then we're gonna ramp up our security whether we have to uh whether we have to fricking bring in the fucking national guard that'll change the game for them, and they don't want to do that either so right now it kind of seems like we're kind of operating on a, on a, on an even keel where they're happy we're happy we're doing our best to stop them they're doing their best to fucking trick us and and it's just it's kind of rolling that way once something does happen where a border engine gets gets engaged and it happened it happened uh while I was in the academy um it changes the game for them because we ramp up our security on that border and now they can't really get across what they normally could so they're trying to keep Got you know it. what i mean so they're not trying to raise the threat right. levels very much which is smart and, and it's safe for us i guess i don't know hard to say
0: so how do you go how, how do you go from border patrol then to article 15 like dude
1: coincidence
0: man were you, friend, were you friends with jared no, were you, man. you were friends with matt so I, me, I know you guys were yeah
1: me and matt were in range town together um like I said, I was married at the time when, when, when we were in Rage Town, so he would come over to watch UFC fights, and then they'd go out after. So we, we were privates together, and then eventually I got my tab, and then eventually he got his tab, and, you know, we're both tabbed together. So we're in the unit together. We're, we're in the same squad at one point, you know, doing our thing. Um, and then we contacted each other randomly throughout the time when he was working for other businesses, and I was trying to help him out for other things. And then by coincidence, I get sent to fucking El Paso, dude. And I already see the videos that he's going. He already had how to be an operator at that time, man. And I'm telling him, like, dude, the videos are dope, you know, good shot. And, I, and he he was living in El Paso at no, the time? No, man, he was living in Colorado at the time, dude. And so okay. he was traveling to El Paso to see Jared because Jared, you know, they reached out to each other on Facebook. And I've heard everyone's heard that story where they just kind of communicated through that. He'd come down from time to time to work with Jared at the same time they're filming the first commercial for Article 15 Clothing, I was there doing a Beers with Best, and I was hanging out with Matt drinking beers. That's the first time we actually reconnected in a while. He was like, hey, man, you know, the, the company's doing good. And I was like, hey, if you need help with anything, he was like, actually, it'd be cool to come meet Jared, and you guys are close, and if we need anything, we can hit you up. So eventually they had me put on one of their shirts, and I took some pictures. They put it online. And then from there, it's kind of like Matt was doing busy doing his thing, so I was helping out with whether it was answering emails and blah, 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 blah. And just working my ass off, I guess, I don't know, whatever reason they decided to, they brought me on board, which, dude, I'm telling you, it was the biggest blessing of my entire life. You know? Yeah. And how how did they name you Rocco? So one of the first uh, days that Matt came back from from one of his um, jobs, uh, we decided to go out. You know, we got a limo and I've just always kind of been the father figure, kind of, kind of mentality and so i was kind of making sure everyone got in safely everyone left safely everyone you know matt didn't drink too much jt was safe no one was starting fights and i'm just kind of like the bouncer of the group mediating the fun making sure everyone's good make sure everyone gets in right right and so he just he was like man you were like a bouncer last night you were like rock with a bouncer and then fucking stuck dude they posted a picture on instagram and i wasn't getting away from that nickname
0: dude
1: Dude, i want to take this moment ross if you don't mind man i want i would I would honestly tell these guys, man, like, you know, I've never told them to their face. I've never said anything, but Article 15 itself, man, there's all these people that reach out to us and they, they tell us, like, how much Article 15 has saved them or has helped them, and, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, man. Article 15 has saved me, you know what I mean? Like, realistically, like, to be a part of a a, a group, again, that, that I associate with, be a part of, a, you know, be able to drink with Matt and just bullshit with another ranger it saved me in itself, man. I was very, I was, I was in one of the best positions of my life with the Border Patrol. I was in, I had had the the job that I dreamed about and wished I would actually do, and I got there, and there was still something empty in me, man. I was still just, there were, I wasn't full, you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't completely happy with with where I got, and I wasn't sure what the next step was, and so when the Article 15 came and I was able to help them and just do it, it dude it really brought brought some something to me in life again, man. And and I was able to really be myself and I was able to, to find my sense of humor again. Cause for a long time, man, I I was down on my luck. And I was my, my, my insecurities got the best of me. And, and, and dude, I had low self-esteem about just me as a person, man. And so being able to be a part of this team again, and, and man, to be able to be part of the creative side of it. And so article 15 itself, man, I'd love to give a thanks to just Jared, Matt, Cody, brad and zach and, and tell you guys man from the bottom of my heart you guys have saved me as well and, and i appreciate everything you guys have done for me and my family and dude i, I just want to ride this motherfucker out man i'm staying on this boat until this fucking floats man until this thing fucking sinks. Dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well look i mean did you ever envision that you'd have a movie coming out one day uh you, you've got your own you've got your own whiskey company um i, I mean it's it's pretty crazy from from where you, you came from what you did and where you are now it's a it's a pretty big leap right
1: yeah dude it's uh it's a day and night difference with <laughs> never in my life would I expect to be in the position i am dude never, and dude uh, trust me i'm i n I, I appreciate it, you know what i mean, and so i I try and do everything I can that I can give back because I feel like it's been given to me, you know what i mean, and so that's why sure. that's why you see me try and do you know the the public speaking and I try and go out of my way for anyone I can, dude, because seriously, I, I understand how much this community that we've created as well as is established, it, it's saving dudes and it's like it's as much as it's helped me, it's 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 helping others. And so whatever I can do to reach out and help others, man, I definitely try and go out of my way for it, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know another thing that everybody loves about you, uh and your your persona and who you are online, you put a lot of focus on your family. Um I see a lot of videos and a lot of pictures of you with your kids, you know, going going for ice cream, taking them <laughs> to practice. Go, I mean, you, you guys do – you and your kids, your family, do everything together, and that's inspiring to see. Um, oh, I appreciate that. And, it, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, – were, were you close – were you that close with your dad and he passed along those values? Or was that that's something that you, you saw on your own later on in life?
1: No, man. Um, I, I know you – Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: I know. I, I know you uh, – you would you would briefly touched on it uh, when I when I got to see you speak but uh, the rest I think the rest of the world would be curious in hearing it because uh, w- one of the things I hear most often about you is uh, gosh not only does he seem like a great guy but he seems like a great dad um, and I think that's one of the, the biggest compliments I hear about you all the time out in public
1: yeah it's, um, do you, so if you
0: could talk about that I, I where did that come from and and uh, why it means so much to you yeah
1: man I, I mean Dude, I was lucky enough to be raised by some awesome people with some humble backgrounds, dude. And 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 they they tell us every day, you know, they've raised us. The family is such a huge thing for us growing up, man. I mean, we are the type of family that sat at the dinner table and ate together. You know, we we were yes sir, yes ma'am, please, thank you manners, you know what I mean? I mean, we had a cool family, man. We were we were blessed to be a part of that. My mother and father, you know, they they stuck it out in their marriage and they they've been together this whole time and and they've really they, they've kind of grounded us with this, you know, morals and values that I try and stick to today, you know, and, and it's been hard, man, because, you know, I grew up different than my father, you know, as, as my father, you know, he was able to have a job where he was home, you know, and, and when I chose the military route, it, it wasn't the same, man. I was and four years of active duty. I was probably home 14 months. And when I was home 14 months, Holy shit. Yeah. You know, being home 14 months doesn't mean I was necessarily home. It just means I was
0: in the United States of America. I was still right, right. You yeah. weren't, you weren't, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could be sitting in your own living room, but you're still not home. Right.
1: And so I didn't, yeah. I, I was so disconnected from family and, and I didn't identify this until I went through my, my, you know, my divorce. And I realized that, like, you know, all these years, I, I lived on this old school mentality of uh, the father makes the money, you know, and make sure they have a roof over the head and food in their mouth and clothes on the back. And that's good. The mother, she'd raise the kids. And, and I lived with that for so long and, and, and identified later on in life, like, wow, man, like, how fucking wrong was I, dude? When I went through my divorce, man, I, I started trying to find ways to, to reconnect with my kids. But all those years, I was so disconnected. It, it, almost they didn't give a fuck about me. And, and as much as they do, right, they just really didn't know dad. They didn't know who I was as a person. They never, my kids don't know I'm funny, man. They didn't. They didn't know that I actually gave a shit. They didn't know everything I did was for them, right? Everything in my mind, the only reason I work so fucking hard in my goddamn life is to make sure I can put them kids in a better position. But they don't know right. that, man, because they've never spent time with their own fucking dad because the dad is spending all the goddamn time fucking doing work. And what I said in, the, when I said in the, 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 the seminar was exactly that. Like, I said yes to my fucking job every goddamn time they asked. And I said no to my fucking family 90% of the time every time they asked. And I don't know why I fucking did it, man. I, my mindset was so, like, please my job, do good in my job, improve my job, promote my job. That's important in life. And I fucking completely forgot about family, man. And so that, that ate me up. And my divorce itself didn't eat me up so much that I lost a marriage of 10 years. That sucked, right? But what really right. what really sucks is, like, here's the one thing I know in life, man. Like, my wife is my wife, and I'm, she's gone. Cool. But you know who's mine forever, no matter fucking what? My fucking four kids. Like, that's mine forever. No one's going to take that shit from me. So those are the fucking four people in my life that I should pay the most attention to and actually really, really focus on trying to make the best fucking kids I possibly can. That relationship is, is the most important thing to me in, in this world my current wife now knows that she knows these kids are everything to us. And she wouldn't be my wife now if she didn't think the same, you know what I mean? Like we had this, right. we, we were based on the same structure. here. like these kids, everything I do in life is to be the best father and, and to put them in the best position possible. But I can't do that by, by being gone either because they need to know their dad. They need to know what their dad stands for. They need, I, I need to be there to raise them. I need to be there to, to, to nurture them. I need to be there when they have the good times and the bad times. and, if I base my life around being gone and just making sure they have money, like they don't know their fucking dad, man. And so I, I, I fucked up, you know, and I, and I could say that like I fucked up early on in my life. And now that I've been given that second chance, man, I'm going to make the fucking best of it, dude. And so I do everything I can, but to say no to my work as much as possible. And yes, to my family as much as possible now. So i kind of just turned the tide, man.
0: Yeah. And it's such a hard balance, isn't it? Fuck. Like, especially when things are going really well, work wise, it's more demanding of you. Oh, you know people are asking you to do more stuff yeah um trust I, me because i know you pr- I, yeah, I, I, I feel cause... bad half
1: the time when i tell the guys like hey can you feel me? like no man i can't uh, the kids got baseball you know like i feel bad right. because to me <laughs> being financial stable is just as important you know because I mean? the stresses of being dealing with money financial issues is one of the most stressful things you're ever going to deal with when it comes to family right and so when i know the more i work the more money i can make dude, <laughs> what a fucking struggle you got there because I want to be comfortable with finances, but I also want to be a fucking dad, dude. And so I know. Like, how do you balance that? Know. You're know, making everyone happy. Dude, it's hard. It's hard. But like I said, if it's not on your fucking mind, well, then you're wrong. It's got to be on your mind. You have to think about that shit every day. Cause at least if you're thinking about it, you can make a fucking solid decision on, okay, this one I'm taking this one. I'm not, you know what I mean? and, and, that's all I can do, man. Trust me. I still miss a birthday here and there, right? I still miss a fucking, I miss my daughter's wrestling fucking tournament. That was so important to me. But I knew I was going to be doing a transition seminar that potentially is going to be helping hundreds and thousands of possible veterans. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to weigh that out and say, you know what? I'm there in spirit and I can FaceTime you later. But if I can help thousands of fucking soldiers, baby, I hope you understand that. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. and you just got to find, oh, man, like I said, I can't tell you I'm right. Dude. Find that balance. Right, you got to find it, but I can't even tell you that I'm right. I'm just saying, I'm just trying, you know, at least I'm trying. Fuck.
0: <laughs> I, I think that's everybody's biggest struggle in life, especially if you're, if you love your family and you're, you're close to your kids like we are, where it's like, man, that balance between work and being there, like you being present in the room, yeah. you know, is is the same thing, uh, where it's like turn. turn could you have a rule where you turn the phone? Yeah, off,
1: right? yeah. By about eight thirty, dude. I don't care who it is. No one's getting a hold of me, dude. Because everybody in my house, that's everyone that's important, is in that fucking house, dude. And like the guys know that. As soon as I'm home, don't even try, bro. You better knock on the door if you can try and get a hold of me, because I just shut it off, man. Because if I don't, I'm still not there, dude. Like I could be sitting on the couch and I'm not engaged with my family. My son could be talking to me. And I'm like, I'm still on my phone checking the emails for Art Fifteen, the emails for fucking Drinker Bros, the emails for the Rocco page, the emails. for Fuck, dude. So it's like if you if yeah. you don't shut off like even when you're home, you got to be home, dude. You got to be present. You got to be sitting there like actively engaging with your kids or else you're still fucking worthless, dude. You still don't have the balance that you need to have, dude. So I identify that myself and sometimes my wife has to put me on check and be like, "Hey, put that fucking phone down." Yes, ma'am. You're right. I got to put it down, dude. It's time to put it down.
0: Yeah, and I cuz like I'm I'm in a, you know, like, like with me, I'm I'm in the final stages of Range 15. Um, you know, it's, it it always comes down to the nth hour with everything. So I I feel like it's glued to me right now. And I feel like a shitty parent because of it. Um, but on the flip side, dude, I I know there's a gajillion people across the world that are waiting for this movie. And it's like, it's all about that balance of like, all right, what's right. And what's wrong uh hopefully you know once this this ends it'll die down and i say that now but it won't there's gonna be a million yeah. screenings and uh yeah i think this movie will do really well um so things are only going to get crazier for everyone i know man uh so scary uh, as shit dude. <laughs> yeah I
1: it's scary dude like i said dude i just the times i have with them i try and make them worth it bro you know what i mean like i know the next three months might be fucking crazy dude but I'm gonna do it.
0: And imagine it. Look, and imagine if you were The Rock, because I know I know you like The Rock. Right. I know you look up to The Rock, and I know I think you you know your overall life dream. If you could be you know an actor in the vein of The Rock, uh, that would probably in your mind right now you know be be your life dream. Yeah, dude. But uh, you know, when, when you saw what it was like, you know, just in Sundance and things like that, and all the Hollywood meetings and all the things you have to do throughout the day. It, you see it. It could take you away from your family. Yeah, dude. I, dude, it would...
1: I don't... Even, dude, I, trust me. Like, you don't... That's a fear, dude. That's a fear that... Even if... Like, the fear is being successful. You know, like, if you're that successful, now what? what? What You know what I mean? How do I fucking balance that motherfucker, dude? Trust my, I know. I, like, I've thought about it. You know, trust me. I've already thought about plan A through fucking F and then fucking A squared to fucking... You know what I mean? And I think about am I going to put my family in a goddamn fucking, in a bus? You know, are we going to live in a fucking, you know, a motor home if that's what I have to do? But like, dude, what kind of quality of life is that for the kids? You know what <laughs> I mean? So it's yeah. like, fuck, yeah. dude. Like, I don't know, bro. Like, do I hope it gets very successful for, for the good of the family? Yes, man. Because dude, I can put my family in a position where they've been better than me. And just, there you go. When daddy dies, you, you, you know, I've handed you the torch, do what the hell you can with that motherfucker right but at the same time like, yeah, yeah and here's here's a ton of money yeah. and,
0: and uh that's the other side of it right. yeah so, were you looking at it like that yes yeah,
1: so it was scary as shit dude trust me you don't think every day it's a fucking stress on my fucking head dude i'm thinking like what the fuck dude
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah cuz i mean look look uh, we all have a lot going on again you have you have a whiskey uh you have coffee you have the the clothing now you're going to have a movie we have this podcast it's huge um it, it's, it's a lot like because people think we party all the time and it's like oh, oh rocket must be partying again with the with the r15 crew and it, it's not the case like it's it's a lot of work yeah there's there's a bunch of fun times yeah but uh it's a lot of work to to do this many things and be good at it um
1: i know and man. again
0: now you're adding public speaking to the mix because i have a feeling after i saw you speak here in wilmington i, I have a feeling people are going to start booking you out for that and damn that's a lot of travel you know, yeah, dude. like that's a lot of travel on the road as well. So, you know,
1: the thing with that though, uh, man, I, man, if, if, if my life experiences, and dude, I don't think there's guys that have way more life experiences than I have, you know what I mean? But if my little life experiences are able to, to help others, dude, and people want to hear me say, well, I don't give a dude, I would love to. For me, that's like, that for me was so rewarding, dude. That was a, that was a lifelong dream, man. I've thought about that moment of being on stage and, and, and just telling people my story and hopefully it's able to help others, dude. And I've gotten some feedback, man, that, that, that brought me to tears. Like, wow, dude, no way. Like my stupid little story. Right. Cause I don't think it, it's, it's a story, right? My fucking life. And everybody goes to everyone has stuff. Like one of the, one of the speakers said, like everyone has stuff. Like my stuff was, was, was influential enough to fucking motivate someone today. That to messing with me. Like you've motivated me some from the, from the moment you finished talking, I've been motivated still to today god damn are you kidding me man like you know what, what an honor that feels like that that's amazing and that's pressure too you know what i mean but if that's what it, if yeah. that's what it does man for my veteran community dude then dude sign me up i'll I'll speak anywhere dude i don't give a fuck dude if that's if it helps people transition if if it helps people learning from my mistakes like learn from daddy's mistakes dude you know what i mean like go on with the world and don't do the same stupid shit that i did fuck dude I'll i'll do that all goddamn day bro for me that's more important that's that's if you don't wake up every day in your fucking life trying to fucking help others, then what the fuck are you waking up for, man? And that for me is how I believe my life. That's, that's what I want to do.
0: Yeah. And look, you're, you're great at it. Uh, and people love you, man. Uh, they really do. So I, I'm, uh, I'm really amped. We got a, we got a chance to sit down the two of us and talk tonight. I think all our listeners, uh, will hopefully get, get to have a better insight on who you are, uh, not only as a person, but as a, as a father. And, uh, and a husband, and uh, too, you're you're a, you're a great guy, Vincent, and um, I've uh, I'm lucky to know you. I appreciate it, man. Um, so so cheers, my man. Cheers. And, uh, cheers. And on that uh, that note, uh, we have the drinking bro of the week. Yeah. Um, the drinking bro of the week is a uh, is a guy named Dylan David. He is from the Willow Park Fire Department hell yeah um he lost his legs two years he lost uh, i'm sorry he lost one leg two years ago and he now has finally started back to work at the fire department and uh his buddy spencer parker sent that in to the drinking bros podcast facebook page and uh we love hearing stories like this he sent us some pictures um of uh of dylan at the uh at the fire station and uh Man, uh, seeing stuff like this and the fact that you guys listen to our show um, uh, at, at the firehouse means the world to us. And uh, to, to Dylan David, welcome back to work. Welcome back to, welcome back to the uh, the fire department. Oh, yeah, brother. And Great uh, That's awesome. Uh, and to, to you and your buddy Spencer Parker, cheers. Cheers, cheers baby. man. Cheers. Thanks for writing in and thanks for listening to the show. Uh, and on that note, for uh, Vincent Vargas. Yeah. I'm not even going to say Rocco because we got to know about Vincent Vargas, the band tonight. Uh, And Ross Patterson, we are out of here. We will see you next time, everyone.